This episode is brought to you by Gato Negro Wines. Find them on Facebook at facebook.com slash Gato Negro Wine, or check them out on Instagram, username Gato Negro Wine. Sip the terror of your favorite TV series with Gato Negro Wines. Gato Negro, adored everywhere. is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hi, my name is Jason. And my name is Chris. And this is The Talking Dead, episode number 308, recorded Thursday, February 23rd, 2017. Sure is. How's it going, Jason? I got Thursday right. Last week I said Wednesday. Oh yeah, that's right. You got Thursday right. Good, good for you. I'm learning all the time. <laughs> you're just you're doing more and more around here, including getting the day right. Hmm. Good work. Um, well, anyways, how's your Thursday going? What's new? Oh, sucks. Thanks for asking. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> just a bad Thursday. I just had a bad Thursday. Uh, yeah, work was just absolutely horrendous, and. Uh, I feel much better now because I was able to sit with my son while he fell asleep, and now I'm having a nice cup of coffee and uh, talking on the internet, so it's much better now. Well, that's good. I mean, you know what they say about Thursday, though, man. It's the unofficial start to the weekend, so how could it be that bad? Ugh, I don't want to get into it too much, <laughs> but, uh, you know, frankly, I never really could get the hang of Thursdays, so this one was just particularly bad. Okay, well, <laughs> I hope uh, I hope the last few hours of Thursday gets better for you. Me too. As, as we do this thing here. So, um, uh, all right. Well, I'm, I'm excited. I've, I've, I had a work event after work today, which involved some ingestion of libations. Nice. And, uh, that was okay. So, but I'm feeling pretty good and uh, ready to read some feedback. How, how about you? I am super ready. All right. Wonderful. So this is feedback for season seven, episode 10. What was it called? New best friends, right? All right, here we go. Listener feedback. All right. Our first email comes from John in CT, which would be Connecticut. The beautiful state of Connecticut. Uh, John writes, while this week's episode was a bit better than the dismal season premiere and the total train wreck of a first half of season seven, it's still a far cry from what this show once was. It feels like the characters have all but forgotten what has happened in the past, like the first half of season seven, and just moved on. They went from completely beat down to completely healed mentally and physically in a matter of minutes, it seems. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> what, I mean, what do you think about that? Did it, was it too fast of a turnaround from, from hitting rock bottom and being completely emotionally and physically just beaten down to suddenly having all this second wind this resolve to fight back and find an army and take down Negan did it happen too fast well it hasn't happened yet but it's happening but I think maybe the uh, the abrupt change was the uh, we, like he said like John said the the beat down from the last half of the season to the more upbeat feel of this season this half a season so it is a different tone 
than uh, than what we've had. And that might seem abrupt, but I think it was uh, it was best that they did this over a short hiatus. If this had happened from one episode to the next, next it would have been too abrupt. But the fact that it was over a four month hiatus uh, makes it a little more palatable, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, in real world time, we were waiting for it, right? So it doesn't feel so abrupt. But I get what he's saying. Like, yeah, epi- there was one episode, and then technically the very next episode, which wasn't very much time, like in show time, in Walking Dead time, they've gone from being you know, Rick being completely subservient to Negan to this sort of secret plan to to overthrow him. I I do feel like it's a little fast, but I also sort of feel like, well, they were as low as they could go, and then they turned a corner, and and that corner turning, I guess, for lack of a better term, is sort of the start of of their crawl back up to the top, right? And yeah. once they get that attitude. I feel like it could happen, start to happen really fast. You know, they get excited, they get going, they want to get a get the team together and get a plan and, and do it. So, yeah, maybe a little abrupt, but I also think once they get into that mindset and start the wheels in motion, things, they'd want to do it quickly, right? They're excited. They want to get going. Yeah. Momentum is, uh, is very important in, you know, in the real world to have uh, initiative and to use that initiative in order to achieve your goals. If you lose momentum or lose the initiative, it makes it a lot more difficult. So, you know, once you get that in, that uh, momentum going, you definitely want to keep it. The the momentum for revenge. <laughs> well, yeah, revenge or, you know, to achieve whatever goal you've set for yourself. In in this case, it's uh, freedom from uh, the saviors. Yeah, and, and that's important. Seems ironic. Like- yeah, it does. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> but I mean, that's that's their only goal at this point. Without, like when you think about it, without that freedom, they can't continue to live because they won't have enough su- supplies. They have no way to properly defend themselves. They can either try to run away and escape or basically join the saviors and almost become like part of that group. And I don't think they're going to do that. So they've got to get the plan in motion here and get things going and try to deal with this as fast as they can and start rebuilding whatever they, whatever they had before. Yeah. I'm not entirely sure that they couldn't live under the saviors. I think if they gave into the, uh, into Negan, uh, that, you know, Negan generally takes care of the, the walkers, right? And, uh, these little communities don't really have to worry about the walkers anymore because Negan will take care of them, but they do have to worry about Negan. So as long as you keep Negan happy, you keep the walkers at bay. And it might be survivable if you, you know, if you're able to survive long enough so that Negan as a collective isn't an asshole to you anymore. I guess. Much like the kingdom. Yeah, I I suppose. The kingdom... I feel like the kingdom is bigger though, and they, they've established themselves. They're, they're a big enough community that, um, you know, they're doing, an, they're producing enough on their own. They're growing food. Like Alexandria didn't, wasn't growing anything. It didn't seem like if they were, it was small scale. They were yeah. mostly scavenging stuff and you can only scavenge for so long until mm-hmm. there's nothing left to scavenge. So I don't know. I don't know if Alexandria would survive under Negan's thumb like this, partly because Negan is also really hard on Alexandria. Harder, it seems, than on some of these other communities. And that's because Rick and everybody killed a bunch of his people, right? Which I don't think the other groups did. So I think Negan would have to ease up a bit for Alexandria to 
survive under his rule, basically. And, I, and I'm not sure he's the kind of guy who likes to ease up. No, I don't think he, he is. But he might, you know, he's going to get old eventually. He might just uh, like to settle down and, you know, find himself a nice easy chair and to sit back and watch a bunch of fish tanks full of zombie heads. Well, he's like the governor. He said he was going to move to the suburbs, remember? We're going to sit drinking scotch on a porch holding a baby. Like, that's the dream yeah. right there. That's the dream, yeah. You find yourself somebody's baby and sit on the porch and drink. Yeah. With with the baby. With the I baby. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> All right. Next, we have an email from Michael in London. I thought the beginning of the episode was good. The kingdom representatives and the savior scene being tense and well acted. Uh, the way they took the gun and Morgan's broom handle made me furious, <laughs> and it showed just how spiteful these men can be. It made me hate the characters and not the actors or the script. I really liked it. So Michael went on to describe a whole bunch of stuff he didn't like about the episode as well, but I thought I wanted to focus on this point here because it reminded me of what I was feeling while I was watching the opening scene of this. And that feeling was how much I hated these savior guys because they just act like such asshats. Yep. You know, um, Taking Morgan's uh, uh, broom handle. <laughs> his stick. <laughs> his well, stick. Yeah. Whatever, his his staff, his broom handle away. And, you know, just being a dick to Richard, who hasn't really done anything. You know, Richard is there. He's probably the most aggressive of Ezekiel's people, but he's just standing there pretty much. And what is it? Jared, the long haired guy, is he's the one yeah. antagonizing him. And it just, I realized that, my God, this scene the way these guys are acting makes me hate the saviors so much more to be honest than any of the scenes with Negan strutting around doing his thing because I find him a little bit comical rather than um, menacing. Yeah. Jared's got some definite uh, self-esteem issues, which is why he's doing this, right? Right. If he was on his own standing in front of Jared or standing in front of, uh, what's Richard. his name? He uh, yeah, he would, uh, you know, this would go down very differently, but because he's got the backing of the saviors, he feels like he can do whatever he wants and therefore he can strut his stuff and he can, uh, he can be as menacing as he wants without any blowback or if there is blowback, there's going to be blowback, back, back, blowback, <laughs> more blowback the other way. Re-blowback. <laughs> <laughs> Re-blowbacking. So... Uh, he's obviously got some self-esteem issues, but I agree with Michael and I agree with you that, uh, this, this was a tense scene and I didn't know how it was going to go. And, uh, you know, I'm surprised that Morgan, uh, you know, lashed out with his quarter staff, which is the proper name for what he has. Uh, you know, it is a stick or a broom handle, which I think is funny. But, uh, you know, I was surprised that there wasn't more blowback on, uh, on Morgan for that, regardless of whether he was the instigator or protecting his crew or whatever. The fact is he struck a savior with his staff and, uh, that probably should have warranted some, uh, some repercussions. Yeah. You know, if, if, uh, well, you got to think if, if it was anybody else there, there might have been more serious repercussions, but the guy who was in charge of that group of saviors, um, whose name is escaping me right now, but you, you sort of feel like that guy, his heart isn't really in it entirely, you know, uh, um, Stephen Ogg, Simon, he, yeah. he really knows how to intimidate people. He really gets the job done. You know, if that was him there, I think you know, Morgan might not have survived that scene, 
maybe not Richard, maybe nobody would have survived that because, you know, he, uh, Simon likes to lay down the law. This other guy who was here, the leader of this group, um, he just sort of felt like he was going through the motions a little bit, you know? He was just there to pick up the stuff. He didn't care what went down. He didn't want, you know, anyone to get hurt, but he also didn't really give a shit. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so he just told his man to stand down and just try to get home, you know, safely. He probably um, thinks that Jared's a dick too, right? It's like, oh, probably. Jared, what the hell are you doing? And so when he gets him home, he's going to, you know, give him a, give him a slap across the head. And it's like, well, why do you still have that broom handle? You know, next time you're going to bring that broom handle back to that guy so that uh, he can have it because it seems to be a special broom handle for him. Yeah, or they're just going to throw it in the fire and be like, whatever, we don't need a broom without a brush on the end. What's the point? (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. But my my original point about this whole scene was just that it, I found it interesting that this kind of behavior and this kind of thing I felt made me more angry and I felt was more threatening to the characters than almost all of the Negan stuff, you know, with exception of our first introduction to Negan, where he actually beats people to death. That's, that's pretty intense. But when he's walking around Alexandria, threatening people or, you know, wherever they might be, I've, I've almost grown a little bit numb to it. It doesn't affect me like it did the first time we saw him. So, you know, I don't know. Do they have to ramp up Negan again? I hope not because they might take it too far, but this sort of behavior just got to me a little bit more, which I thought was interesting. So anyways, interesting. And Stephen Ogg, I just was watching, uh, rewatching the first season of uh, Better Call Saul, and he's in an episode of that, and it was awesome. Right, 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 right. Uh, I am really looking forward to season, what is it, three coming up of Better Call yeah. Saul. I've only watched the first season twice now, and I've not never watched the second season, so I, I was just getting geared up to watch the second season, and I figured I'd just rewatch the first. When I really like a show, I rewatch it from the beginning when a new season comes out. So <laughs> you I just start keep over. going back and rewatching like right from the beginning. So when season three comes out, I'll probably watch season one and season two again. So by the time like season seven comes out, I'll have seen season one seven times. That's uh, a lot of Better Call Saul, but it's a good show, so totally worth it. Yeah. Well, that's what I did with Breaking Bad. That's what I did with Dexter. It's what I did with, uh, I've done with a lot of shows. It's what I've done with uh, uh, Game of Thrones. I've done it with, you know, all the shows that I really like, except so, for this one. Someday because, you'll do it with this one. I, I might, but I'm saving this one for uh, for when the show actually ends. We'll have to go back and rewatch, well, not have to, but we'll go back and rewatch them probably. And I'm saving them for that, for a special occasion like that. Got it. All right. Well, that's a good plan. Next up, we've got Mike from Des Moines, Iowa, USA, and Mike writes, I cannot figure out the life of me, why the garbage people would agree, seemingly out of the blue, to take up arms with Rick's group, who are strangers with them so quickly. When Rick was describing the saviors to Jadis, she didn't give any indication that she was aware of the saviors or the threat that they might pose to her group. Some nod of acknowledgement would have gone a long way in explaining why, after throwing Rick into a pit with the gladiator walker, she was so willing to work at a deal to put her own community in harm's way. I understand that the currency of the day is food, water, and supplies, and Rick promised all that to her and to her group, but wouldn't she want to get a few more details regarding the size and strength of the saviors before agreeing to go to war? Well, some people just like to agree to things, you know? 
You know, it, maybe it's, uh, you know, trial by combat kind of things. Like, well, he bested our gladiator zombie. What was his name? Winston or? Winslow. Winslow. He bested our, our gladiator zombie. And uh, that means that the uh, the gods have deemed him right and correct. And I should, uh, I should you know, entreaty with him to help him in, in his just and noble cause. Well, maybe, but I, I'm not sure we know enough about the scavengers yet. You know, Mike is, is saying that there's not really any indication that Jadis or that group knows much about the saviors, whether may not have even known they exist at all. Um, so why would she agree to fight, you know, an army that she has no intel on, which is a good point. Um, but at the same time, she did talk about how, you know, they, they take things, but things are changing. They're running out of supplies. I think she said at one point you open a can and find, you know, rotting, uh, food inside. And, and so I think even the scavengers are starting to get desperate for stuff. So when the opportunity presents itself to have at a fairly large stockpile of supplies, it might be too much too much, too tempting to pass up, right? Right. Well, when, you know, when all you find is botulism in cans and you're living in a garbage pile, you know, grow some corn, like for crying out loud people. Yeah. I, I hear corn is pretty easy to grow. So yeah, you <laughs> I put don't know. It, yeah, I, I don't know. But you know, I've seen lots of corn, so lots of people know how to grow corn and it doesn't look like it's hard to grow because I, you know. I just see it lying around pretty much because you know, I'm not a farmer and I don't know shit. <laughs> I see corn in the grocery store all the time. It must be easy no, to get I've, there. No, but I'm from up north and I've, you know, we had, uh, I lived, my next door neighbor had a whole bunch of corn in their yard. Yeah. And I remember it growing from, you know, little baby, baby corn to bigger, you know, grown up adult corn. And, uh, it was delicious and it didn't seem that hard because if, uh, <laughs> Mr. Refuo can, uh, can grow the corn and he was like 80 some odd years old and he didn't have any farm equipment, uh, I'm sure that, you know, I could figure out how to grow some corn from corn seeds. Sure. I, your neighbor also. <laughs> probably the ear of corn is like the seed, right? Uh, yeah. The stuff you're eating is yeah, like I, what, that's what the grows seed, more I, corn? I think so. Yes. <laughs> Clearly, you shouldn't be talking about corn farming. <laughs> but what I'm saying is somebody out there other than me knows how to grow corn. And I'm sure even I could figure it out by taking like corn and planting it and seeing what happens. Put the corn in the ground, water it, apply some sunlight. There ah, you go. You don't put the corn in the ground outside and leave it be, you know? <laughs> Maybe that's good enough. Your neighbor also had these um, pointy green sort of spiky leaved plants growing in his yard, I assume. Like, what do you mean point, like five pointy leaves? Yeah, are there, is there five or is there, or is it is You're consistent? talking about pot? <laughs> well, I'm just saying, I, I don't know oh, what It was I'm a really about. small yard. It wasn't, it was just like his entire backyard, like the size, not even the size of your backyard was filled with corn stalks. My backyard's big for the city. What? My backyard is big for the city, but up where you're from, I guess that's small. It is a little smaller, okay. but uh, his whole yard was like an entire, like just corn. I don't know what he was thinking, but it was so much corn. He's probably selling it at a local market and you were running oh. in there every weekend peeing on it, I bet. I never peed on the corn. Oh, okay. <laughs> all right. I'll take your word for it. All right. So, all right, let's move on. So next we have an email from Beth in Scotland. Just wanted, I just wanted to write in about this week's episode, mainly about the new group. Uh, I have been very good. I've stuck to my guns, 
uh, gasps at friends who have decided to stop watching The Walking Dead after this season. I watch Glenn get beaten to death, but this new group, unless we get a serious backstory exploring why they are so, so weird, I'm a bit dubious. I can handle hand signals. Uh, the hand signals I could deal with. The funny names, okay. But then they spoke, and I was like, what? Why? I I understand this is the apocalypse, but come on, just use full sentences. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, a lot of people were were taken aback, I, sh- I guess is a way to put it, by the way Jadis and uh, her crew spoke. And I, I can see why, because what's what's the point of speaking like that? How did these people start to speak like that? Why did they speak like that? The zombie apocalypse hasn't gone on for that long. I could see maybe generations down the road um, when children haven't been in school or they haven't been properly educated, speech patterns change. But in two or three years, like, what happened? What? Why did this? Why does this group speak like this? Maybe it's just her. Because we didn't hear anybody else speak, right? Not really. She used hand signals. I think they, they, uh, her other people may have had one or two words here and there, but you're right, not really sentences. Maybe she's just an odd duck. And they're like, yeah, she's weird, but she's smart and she finds the best garbage. So let's put her in charge. So we'll just go with it and we won't say, any, we won't say anything? Yeah. Okay. You know, maybe it was a tactic by, you know, their small uh, steering committee that they had for, for their garbage, you know, lifestyle. And they said, <laughs> okay, we'll put her in charge so that it throws other people off because they don't quite understand, uh, you know, is she human? Is she, is she a Vulcan? Like what exactly is going on here? Uh, so if we put her in charge, it'll throw other people off and the negotiations will uh, will go in our favor because they won't know what to make of her. That's a, actually a really good point. I mean, maybe she just does that to to take people off their guard, right? I mean, if you yeah. encounter someone or you are going into a negotiation and you, you expect one thing, you kind of feel like you know what you're going to get. And then you go in there and someone does something like this, it's going to take you a while as the other party in this negotiation to get comfortable with the situation and stop thinking about why they're talking so funny and get your mind back onto the matters at hand. So, you know, maybe that's what she's doing. Maybe she can talk perfectly normally, but she chooses to do this to confuse people. And it kind of worked. Like you could see Rick at the end there asking her questions you know, about what were you going to do with Gabriel and what's your name and, and all these sorts of things, right? He just wants to find out more information. He's intrigued. And I think part of that is because she's so weird. Yeah. Wasn't it uh, the art of war? Sung Su say that make your, uh, make your enemy think you're stupid. I don't know, but that's, that's sounds like good advice. It is. I think that's exactly what Yoda and Chewbacca both did. Like just talking weird, like Ch- Chewbacca obviously doesn't speak in uh, English per se, but, uh, I think he's doing it on purpose. And same with Yoda. I think Yoda can speak perfect English because, you know, he's 800 years old. He's been around uh, English speakers long enough. And he seems like a pretty smart guy. Like, use proper word usement, man. Like, he's just faking it in order to throw people off their game. Yeah, but it's, he's he's 800 years old in Star Wars. He's not human. He's from somewhere else. So oh. I'm, I'm fine. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I... <laughs> Way to state the obvious, man. Uh, But what I mean is like that could be a different dialect, right? The way Yoda speaks is the dialect of English where he's from. These people are from right here. They're from the United States and they've only been in the zombie apocalypse for, you know, months or a short number of years. 
So are you saying that Yoda's in a por- from a portion of the galaxy where there's a different dialect of English and everybody speaks that way? Yeah. I'm saying well, I'm speculating that. Okay. Well, I just, you know, that kind of makes sense, but you know, everywhere else like that we've seen, we've seen people jump around the galaxy all over the place in Star Wars uh, and everybody speaks English exactly the same way except for the aliens. Well, some of them sound British, some of them don't. I mean, they're different. Oh, okay. Dialect. So you think, okay, so it's just a dialect issue. I think it's not... in, it's a, or potentially a dialect issue, right? Okay. It, just like in the world, there are different versions of English all over the place. You know, this email comes from Beth in Scotland, and I kind of wish you'd read it in a Scottish accent. Well, I can't, and that would be an insult to everybody, really. <laughs> not just the Scots? <laughs> not just the Scots, but to me, to you, to everybody I can think of would, okay. that would be, I'd end up sounding, I've tried Scottish accents in the past and basically I end up uh, sounding like Popeye, which is hmm. sad, really. But okay, so let me, let me ask you this then, is uh, Jadis from a different county that has a different dialect maybe then? Yeah, but the, the way she speaks, I don't think is explainable by different dialect. I mean, it's possible, but- So she'd learned English from somewhere else. Um, maybe English isn't her first language. Maybe she learned English after the zombie apocalypse. Maybe. And this I is mean, just your how wife's it, well, Czech is, is, you know, could this be a Czech dialect? No. <laughs> okay. So that's one eliminated. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's probably not Scottish. <laughs> how much time do we have, Jason? Uh, not as much as you need. Yeah. I'm just saying, I don't think that, I don't think dialect explains Jadis's way of speaking is my point. Whereas it could for Yoda or it could for other people in the Star Wars universe. Right. Okay. Um, somehow it always comes back to Star Wars. So, All right. So it boils down to she's an alien. So it boils down to she's otherworldly. She's from somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, or, or more likely she's doing it on purpose to confuse people. And it, yes. and it worked. Confuse me. There you go. All right. Thank you, Beth, for that one. Matt in... Matt in Delaware writes, when Rick stabbed the walker to death, they didn't show it at all. Then when they pan out to show the overhead shot looking down into the garbage pit, you can see Rick standing next to a clearly separated head, which is at least a meter from the body with a blood trail in between. This censorship is bullshit. Why even show the decapitated results if you're not going to show us the carnage? This show is turning into a neutered soap opera. I don't like the direction it's going. I don't know. Do we need to see, do we need to see him cutting off the head? What's the point of that? You already know he's defeated the thing. Yeah, I'm not, I think he probably should have shown, they probably should have shown him stabbing it in the head, but I guess it had armor on. So there's really no way to, you know, damage the brain. Just uh, if you cut off the head, it just makes, means it's a spiky head gnashing away, which is, kind of nasty uh i think this show tends to be a little all over the place like sometimes in some episodes they'll show things like glenn getting his skull bashed in and his eyeball popping out which is way worse than uh rick cutting off the head of a uh, a clearly non-human entity with some kind of weird spiky head yeah uh so are they pulling back from the violence from the beginning of the season in that one instance, absolutely. Whether that's going to be consistent or not, I don't know. And let's face it, there is a difference between human-on-zombie violence and human-on-human violence. People tend to get more upset by human-on-human violence, especially yeah. when it's extreme, like the Glenn and Abraham thing. 
but that's not really the point here, though, I don't think of, of what Matt is trying to say. It's just he feels like, you know, they showed the battle with this, with this monster, but they cut out the climax. Yeah. And I can sort of see his point, but then when I think about it, I'm not sure, is there any narrative point to showing Rick cutting off, to actually showing Rick cutting off the head? I mean, he's, he's won the battle. He's won the fight already by piling garbage on top of the thing. He's yep. just removing the head. So it's truly no longer a danger. And I mean, you know, yeah, we've, we've seen all kinds of, of zombie related violent images. This one was more about the fact that he beat this thing and now, you know, he has to, or he has the ability to make a deal with Jadis. So, um, it seems like kind of a mundane thing that he's doing. He's really just removing the head so that he doesn't, you know, accidentally trip over it and, or step in the thing's mouth and get his foot bit, you know? Yeah. Well, let's hope that when the story needs it, we get the level of violence that, uh, that, that is appropriate. I don't think in this case, the story needed it. Yeah, that's, that's, I totally agree with that. Totally agree. Yeah. All right. Next we have a, uh, an email from Randy in Fawn Township, Pennsylvania. I think the show has done an awesome job with Carol's character over the lifespan of the show. She has evolved into something you rarely see in any form of media, a middle-aged woman who is a legitimate warrior. On most TV shows and movies, the tough woman is usually young, attractive, and fit. However, I feel that she has abandoned her group of friends. Uh, all of the main characters have suffered losses and killed multiple people, but didn't run away to live in isolation. This only weakens the group when they need her the most. Imagine if Rick had left the group because he couldn't handle killing anymore. The group would have likely have been eliminated by any number of group of enemies along the way. So, Carol. Carol. I, I swing back and forth with Carol. I've loved the character. I have been disappointed with the character. Um, and... At the end of the day, I think that's probably a good thing. It shows a wide range <clears throat> of character traits and emotions that Carol can portray on the show. And if you if you hate her one minute and love her the next, you know, don't focus on either of those too much is, is sort of the way I'm I'm thinking about it now. You know, take her for what she is, a pretty well-rounded pretty deep character that has evolved a lot over the course of seven seasons. And she happens to be at a point now where she is trying to separate herself from the violence of this world. And does that mean that she's putting the rest of her group in danger? I don't really think so because she's, she's not really part of the group anymore, right? She's, she's, she could still be super violent and not be part of the group. And that would have the same effect because she's simply not part of the group. Yeah. I think they're saving her for something story-wise. I think that uh, she's going to come back into the fray and uh, kick some ass and start taking names. I think you're totally right. Um, she's, she's not gone forever. I mean, she's still on the show. Uh, not too many episodes go by where we don't see Carol doing something, even if it's just living the simple life on her in her little yeah. house there, but you're right. They're going to bring her back into this, into this, uh, war or whatever is coming up at some point for sure. You know how that's going to happen. We don't know, but, uh, yeah. So I, I don't know. I mean, she's, a, she's a good character and I think she's one of the, 
sort of most changed characters of everybody on the show. Her and Rick, you know, are, are up there, but uh, we'll have to see where it goes. I just don't think you can say that she's putting her friends at risk by trying to live this simple-ish type life. Right. Yeah, I don't think she's Rose and Bernard from Lost. I think that uh, they're definitely going to use her and it'll be uh, soon. It will be soon. It'll be it'll be before the end of season seven. She'll be instrumental in bringing Ezekiel into the fight or or some other way, but she'll be important to this whole this whole battle against Negan. I'm convinced. Yeah, I agree. All right, is it me next? It's you next, Luke in Vis Visalia, California. I'm gonna go with Vis uh, Visalia, Vis Visalia. How about that? <laughs> yep, that's it. I got lost in my notes. Go All ahead. Right. Luke writes, did you see the goofy smile on Jerry's face when he handed over the cobbler? We have seen this a number of times now, especially when dealing with Ezekiel and his enthusiasm for life amidst the zombie apocalypse is very refreshing and serves as a nice comedic respite. I agree. I do. It's I, fun. I like, I like Jerry, you know, he's, I'm going to be sad when he's killed off horribly. Well, let's not. Let's hope that that doesn't happen. He has a battle axe for crying out loud. I have a soft spot in my heart for people that carry battle axes. Yeah, I can see that. I just think he's he's a good character. He is a little bit goofy, a little on the goofy side, but I will allow it. Be the whole kingdom is on a little bit on the goofy side. Well, so I think he's perfect. Exactly. He fits into the kingdom pretty well. You know, they're they're a bunch of whack jobs. It seems like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and willful whack jobs. Like they're doing this on purpose. Totally, totally. They yeah. bought in. Like even Richard standing there saying things like addressing Ezekiel as your highness, like that is just borderline too much, I think. But I'm kind of okay with it. And I'm okay with Jerry too. Yeah. So I, yeah, I'm, I'm buying in. I'm buying in. I would call him your highness. All right. Good. I mean, <laughs> I mean, if you're going to be a king, you got to be called your highness. Or, or, or my lord. I would call him my, lo my lord. <laughs> yeah. Well, that would actually <laughs> even be better, maybe. Uh, they'll right, work next, that in at some point, I think. Yeah. All right. Next, we have an email from Christian in Seattle, Washington. Holy crap. Did you not see the Roman collar on Father Gabriel? His character has made a point to never remove the collar. Even when asked about it, he has maintained that it, remain, it reminds him of his humanity. Father Gabriel was wearing the collar when he was abducted. So why would he be wearing just an undershirt in the scene where he is holding the scavenger at knife point? If I had to guess... The show decided against the visual of a priest priest threatening to kill a human being. It is a strong image that could generate negative feedback from some viewers. I see why they decided to get him uh, out of the priestly apparel, but at the same time, I wish the show would have been bold and shown us Father Gabriel wearing the Roman collar in that scene. In general, I am always intrigued by how religious characters are portrayed in television shows. What makes Father Gabriel character Father's Gabriel Father Gabriel's character so interesting is his own belief system has been challenged over and over, and he's coming out in a coming out to be a very different person than he was when we first met him. Uh, is this the point where he stops dressing like a priest, or is it just this one scene? I think he will dress like a priest again, but it and I, and I was aware of the fact that he didn't have his priest collar on in this episode, but I just kind of chalked it up to, well, the, the scavengers, you know, took it off for some reason. They, you know, they, I don't know, stripped him down to search him or something like that. And they didn't give him his, his collar and jacket back. But I think that the idea that having a 
priest with a knife to someone's throat threatening to kill them could be the kind of thing that AMC was worried about, you know, sensitivity against. Yeah, absolutely. Now, so he's killed a human being before, right? Let's see. Well, have we seen him kill a human being? We've... I remember him holding a rifle, and I remember him saying that he wouldn't kill, and I was pretty sure that he killed somebody. Okay, well, I mean, we know his story of locking all his his uh, parishioners out of the church. And this was in Alexandria. I think it was the uh, uh, the wolves. When it was the wolves attacked, maybe, maybe. So I think we have to go back and rewatch the entire series to get this information. <laughs> Start over. <laughs> Start over. Was he wearing the collar when he killed a, a human being before? If he's killed a human being before, and I'm pretty sure he has. I, I, I do feel like he wears the collar almost all the time. There was that episode where he walks out into the forest in this pristine white t-shirt. Do you remember that too? And, and, and you just couldn't help but think, oh, well, who wears a, a shirt that white out to the forest in the zombie apocalypse? I mean, obviously it's going to get covered in blood. You can't wear a white shirt on television or in a movie without getting blood on it. It's just, it's a rule. Yeah. It's, it's the way life works in TV and movie land. That's right. right. Nobody's that clean. Anyways, uh, I don't know. I can't remember specifically if he's killed anyone before while wearing the priest collar, but I wouldn't be surprised if Christian here hit the nail on the head and they just didn't want a priest, you know, in that kind of threatening situation. Yeah. I, I think, uh, I think he's absolutely right that they, uh, they had to pull the plug on him wearing his, uh, his priestly outfit. And today I learned it's called a Roman collar. I didn't know that before. Well, neither did I. I, I assume that's correct. I have no yeah, reason to I believe it's so not. Too. And I find it interesting that I, I've learned it from a, a guy named Christian. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that is. So it's all good. Uh, but I do think that you're absolutely right, Christian, that they pulled uh, they pulled his Roman collar off in order to get rid of the visual of a priest holding a knife. I mean, do you think somebody's throat? Do you think next episode he'll just have it back on again? Maybe. I mean, we didn't see him leave the scavenger's junkyard with his. I don't think we did, anyways, with his original attire, but. I don't know, maybe maybe that's just not the kind of thing we'll see. I, I wonder, it'll be interesting. We'll see what happens next week. I have a feeling, though, Father Gabe is not in the upcoming episode, but you never yeah, know. Yeah, probably. He'll disappear for a while until we forget about it, and then he'll show up again, and he may or may not be wearing the collar. Well, or if we've forgotten about it, he'll just have it on again, and no one will, no one will worry about it. There you go. All right, uh, Justine in NorCal writes, I have to disagree with your assertion that Father Gabriel is a, is a failure at everything. He certainly succeeded in saving everyone's ass by grabbing that guy's knife during the skirmish with the scavengers. If he hadn't, our heroes sure looked like they would have gotten their butts kicked. That's true. I guess. So that, that's one thing. <laughs> Out of a long list of failures. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he's done stuff that's, you know, successful in the past. Like you said, he didn't, uh, he didn't kill the baby when he was taking care of, uh, Judith. See, and that's a very important thing. As a babysitter, rule number one is don't kill the baby. Yeah. I'm finding that out as a new father as well. I mean, your first primary goal is try not to kill the baby. I mean, they know you have that baby. Like you left the hospital with the baby. Like they know I have him. So yes, try to, yeah, try to feed them and, uh, you know, keep them alive. That's generally That's the goal. Number one rule. <laughs> number one rule. Well, <laughs> see, and Father Gabriel did not fail at the number one rule of baby watching. That's right. So good, good for him. He's so not all you bad. know, 
Justine, you must be, you might be absolutely right that he's not a complete failure at everything, but he sucks at certain things like standing a post. <laughs> yeah, he was pretty bad at that. Hey, I hear a noise. I'm just going to walk off into the darkness and see what it is. I'm going to go look at that. I'm not going to raise this alarm. There's a bell here I should ring. Uh, nah, I'll ring it later. I'm sure it'll be fine. <laughs> That's right. Uh, when I come back, I'll ring it. Maybe. That's right. All right. All right. Next, we have an email from Larry in Windsor, Ontario. When Daryl and Richard had their brief scrap at the trailer, Richard Richard was left standing alone in front of the truck depicting a lone gunman standing down a wagon full of people. Man, that moment was full of foreshadowing. He said himself he planned the attack but couldn't do it alone. But in the end, he was left alone just like the gunman. Uh, We know everything on this show has a purpose, and I'm guessing uh, he is going to go through with his plan, but instead of Carol biting the big one, it will be the blonde-haired ninja kid Ezekiel he loves so much. And only then, the Zeke will freak, drawing the kingdom into the fray. (laughs) The Zeke will freak. Um... So uh, uh, Benjamin, right? Is it Benjamin? I think Larry is talking about instead of Carol being the linchpin to get Ezekiel on board or yep. a Zeke, it'll be Benjamin dying. And I, you know, I could see that Ezekiel clearly has a strong relationship with that kid. Yeah. And if the saviors kill him for some reason, that could piss Ezekiel off enough to get him involved. It sure could. So, uh... I, I do like that. I think we have more about that trailer coming up in a, in a minute. So we'll talk about that then. Cool. Uh, but that trailer, there was some interesting things about that trailer. Uh, next though is Gemma in South Wales, UK. Gemma writes, I loved Daryl with the tiger. We've commented many times how Daryl is like a caged animal, especially when he first got to Alexandria during his interview with Deanna, when he was pacing around and wouldn't shower. Of course, he would share a special bond with Shiva. As Joe from the Claimers said, there ain't nothing sadder than an outdoor cat that thinks he's an indoor cat. (laughs) Or something like that. But uh, yeah, we, even on this show, I'm pretty sure you or me have called Daryl a caged animal. And if not one of us, then definitely our listeners. Yeah. And then who's the first person to go and see Shiva in a cage? Daryl. It's Daryl. He goes and sees the caged animal. So, uh, yeah, that's, uh, pretty, pretty solid juxtaposition there of two things that are the same. <laughs> Do you think that, uh, Daryl and Shiva will be let out of the cage let out of their cages at the same time? You know, I think Daryl is in the process of being let out of his cage. He, he was such a bigger part of this episode, and I thought not only Norman Reedus did a great job, I thought the character was written really well, and I feel like this was just a back-to-form moment for Daryl Dixon. Right. So I think maybe he's out of the cage already. Shiva, unfortunately, has to live in a cage every night, probably. Well, yeah, for... I don't know if it's for her safety or for everybody else's safety or probably both. Yeah. Well, you don't want to just go to bed with a giant tiger on the floor beside you because if that tiger wakes up in the night and is hungry, well. Well, it depends. I mean, if you are the one, like big cats, from what I've seen on uh, documentaries and such, they they bond with one, maybe two people. Like if you have, if you have a big cat, like a, a leopard or a puma, or something like that, um, you can bond with that cat to the point where it will never attack you. It considers you family. And, uh, I, yeah. Well, I, when I say never, I, I don't mean never, never. I mean, probably most likely not unless they're scared, hungry, or angry. Yeah. And you, but, you've so explained you, you know, that before. I think that, you know, uh, 
Ezekiel has bonded with this cat, so I think he would feel safe sleeping with the cat as long as it's well-fed and feels comfortable. Uh, you know, that whole, um, what are the name of those two illusionists that had a white tiger? Yeah, and then the tiger attacked one of them at some point. Sigmund I'm not sh- and Freud yeah. or whatever? No. <laughs> Sigmund and Freud. Brief, uh you yeah, keep going. Yeah. <laughs> there's some there's some disagreement as to exactly what happened there whether the tiger attacked or whether the tiger felt like it was scared and was taking uh taking that guy whatever his name is uh to to a safe place cuz the tiger picked up picked him up and dragged him off stage which is exactly the kind of thing that a big cat would do to one of its young if it felt threatened for some reason. So I think something happened on stage and the tiger freaked out for whatever reason and uh, grabbed him and tried to take him to a safe place. So I'm not sure that it was necessarily a full-on attack. Somebody, like the tiger turning on him, I think it might have been something else. Like the intent wasn't to hurt him. The intent was uh, to save him, but the tiger freaked out and was not thinking clearly when it happened. Yeah, Siegfried and Roy is their name. And it it does seem to indicate here that the tiger was picking him up by the neck to take him somewhere to safety. And unfortunately, you know, a tiger picking you up by the neck, it's not the same as a tiger picking up a cub by the neck. And he injured his neck and left him partly paralyzed. But uh, so so you may be right. It's... uh, it's, uh, it's possibly, it's possible. I don't think it's necessarily that the tiger was attacking him anyways. The point is, sure, the tiger may have imprinted and bonded with Ezekiel, but yeah, I don't know how much I would trust a tiger like that. You have to do it. You have to bond with this big cat from when it's uh, a cub. Yes. Like, like it's, uh, you can't just walk up to a full grown tiger and go, I'm going to be your friend now and you're not going to bite me, right? Because the tiger might go, yeah, I won't bite you now, but, you know, I'm a cat, damn it. I might take your hand off just because I'm cranky. In a few hours, I'm definitely biting you. But I'm not going to tell you now because I'm a cat. And I'm a, right. I'm a bastard and cats are bastards. <laughs> That's right. Because my uh, I can see the bottom, you know, if a cat thinks, uh, I know my cats that uh, I have a food dish for them. And if they can see the bottom, they just consider it empty. And that they're hungry and they come and bug you and they'll wake you up in the middle of the night going, I can see the bottom of my food dish. So if you wouldn't mind putting like four pieces in there, that'd be great. Even if there's like food mostly filling it, they can see one like, little piece. That's right. Like a ring of food all the way around, maybe all the way up to the edges of the bowl. If they can see the bottom, that bowl is empty. <laughs> Friggin' cats. <laughs> oh yeah. man. I, I, I'm a kind of a cat person, even though they uh, make me want to die with allergies, but I... I used to really like cats, but they are jerks. I love jerks. my cats. Yeah, I love my cats, but yeah, they're definitely jerks. <laughs> all right. And they will puke everywhere. Oh my God, they just puke on everything. They'll puke in my shoes, last, puke on the floor. Last time I was there, one of them puked. They just right in the middle of the floor. Like, oh, I'm going to walk around a little bit. You know what? I'm just going to throw up right here. You, you don't mind, right? You, you know, you have guests over, but whatever. I'm just going to throw up right here. Sounds like you and when you were 20. <laughs> no, I was very good at not throwing up. Oh, good. Good. That's a good, younger. It's a good. Yeah. Sounds like you when you were 40. <laughs> yeah. I haven't thrown up. It's been a long time. It's been like 15 years since I've actually thrown up. Wow. That's a good record. Yeah. But that's a topic for another podcast. It sure is. Back in the 90s. Yeah. <laughs> What's next? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, wait. We have, uh, we just did Gemma. So it's, uh, we have a call from Lucas in, uh, well, the internet. 
in the internet. Here's Lucas. Hey, Chris and Jason. I was just thinking about something you said in your earlier podcast this week about how Daryl was pretty good with Shiva the Tiger. And I thought it was interesting because when they were in the lineup and they were doing Negan was doing Eeny, Meeny, Liney, Moe, the part where it said catch a tiger was pointed right at Daryl. So I think it's a maybe a little subtle. I don't know if it was meant to be a, a hint to that, but that uh, Daryl is good to tigers. But thanks. Keep it up. <laughs> I, I think that's funny. Right? Whether it's foreshadowing or not, it's just like, we're going to... We're just going to tell you right here that Daryl's good with tigers. That guy knows tigers. <laughs> Is he from Detroit? <laughs> the Detroit Tiger. Look at you. How did, I'm surprised. That's hockey, right? No, but. What, I, is it baseball? I think it's baseball. Yeah. But okay, I'm surprised good. you knew that there was a team in Detroit called the Tigers at all. That's because I had a friend in high school that, uh, uh no, it was grade school. He used to listen to uh, baseball on the radio and he was uh, a big fan of the, the Detroit Tigers. So he'd listen to them all the time. Okay, well, that's uh, that's cool, but I'm I'm just surprised you knew that at all. But I, is Daryl from Detroit? Um, no, Daryl's from Detroit, and he likes baseball so. and tigers, you know. And and it it you know the bat pointed at him for a catch a tiger by the toe. Yeah, well, I it's if if it probably means nothing, but it could be weird foreshadowing. Yeah, it could be tigers coming up. Uh, do you know what the hockey team in Detroit is called? Uh, the Red Sox. <laughs> Is it close? Uh, it's about 50% right. <laughs> and, and we'll move on from there. Okay. Uh, Michael in Mesquite, Texas writes, that cage for Shiva is too small. She should have a much bigger area to roam around in. Also, does the kingdom have enough resources to feed her? A tiger kept in captivity can eat up to 15 pounds of meat every day. Wow. That's, that's way too much meat. I'll be, I'll be honest with you. You know what they need to do, Jason? Truly? What what do they need to do truly? Kill the tiger and eat it. Well, I don't know about that. Well, the 15 pounds of meat. Think about how long 15 pounds of meat can feed a human. Days. Yeah, that's true. I mean, but they have a lot of, uh, you know, pig resources. You know, maybe the tiger eats a lot of, a lot of the pigs. Well, you think they have a lot of pig resources because you saw them give like five pigs to, to Negan's crew. That might be yeah. the only five pigs they had. No, they keep going out back. They keep going back to the city for more pigs. <laughs> you never thought you'd say that. I'm going to go into town today. I'm going to go <laughs> into the city and pick up some pigs. Well, that's where the pigs are now. I guess they've moved yeah. in. Yes, yeah, so, uh, I yeah. Big cats eat a lot of meat, and they take a lot of resources, and they require more space than than obviously Shiva has at the moment. Maybe this is just uh, Shiva's indoor pen for when Daryl is visiting. I don't know. But maybe she has a, a larger outdoor pen with uh, free-range pigs that I, uh, she can attack and kill. I think we just have to suspend the disbelief on this one. The, the dude has a tiger. This tiger is is a strange tiger with an eating disor- disorder and doesn't eat that much. And that's how they keep, that's why they keep her around. Maybe this tiger only eats strawberries. Yeah, maybe. And the tiger's a hell of a deterrent for anyone wanting to come in and attack. So maybe it's yeah. worth it. You know, and everybody in town might, uh, and everybody in the kingdom might go, you know what? Having a tiger is pretty cool. So let's all collectively give up a portion of our pig meat for uh, each and every day and Shiva can have it. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. At any way, any, any case, tiger, I, I think the tiger is, everyone seems to think the tiger is cool. If, if not unexpected, but really cool. You know, realistically, when you look at it, uh, the, the Shiva is a CGI tiger and doesn't really eat anything. So I think they're pretty, 
pretty good. I think they're they're okay. What what did you think of the the recent you know graphics or CGI involved with the tire? Do you think is is she convincing? Or uh, so? no, but yeah, I I have a problem with uh, with this in general. I think it was it was good, but I don't think it's fantastic, and I don't think we're quite there yet where we can put a completely CG animal or character on screen and uh, not realize that it's fake. Did you see the new version of The Jungle Book from last year? I have not. Because the animals in that are photorealistic. And I don't know, maybe they are real animals. I'm, I, I don't know. But if they're animated, um, they can obviously make animals that are indistinguishable from real life. To me, well, anyways. Well, uh, I'll watch it. All right. With my own eyes and see what I think. All right. Budget for that's probably very different for an episode of The Walking Dead. So yeah. that's that's a big thing, but I am not sure. Uh, all right. Moving on. All right. Next, we have an email from Joe in the UK. Someone has probably already mentioned this, but I am listening to the first podcasts you ever did. And on the review of season one, episode, episode three, you both say how you love the blood splatter on the camera effect. I thought it was funny how you've changed your opinion, but I must agree it gets a bit old when they do it too much or when it doesn't fit a certain scene. All right. So the, the last few emails here were added late uh, just before we started recording. So uh, that's why we're a bit all over the place here right at the end. But I wanted to throw this in because I do think it's it's funny. I, I don't remember recording a podcast for season one, episode three. I'd have to go back and listen to it. But I guess there was a blood splatter you know, incident in that episode. And we were both like, wow, that's so cool. But yep. I do recall saying how, you know, when uh, it happened a few times there towards the end of season six, we were sort of like, that's nah, not so cool. So it's just funny how things change. Well, what the way I like to think of it is that uh, consistency is the refuge of the weak-minded. So the more they do it, the annoying, more annoying it is. No, it's just that I refuse to be consistent. Right, okay. So, <laughs> I guess, yeah. Uh, but I do think the more they do it, you know, the more tendency there is to sort of rebel against it because it becomes commonplace, right? It does. Yeah, I have no idea. I don't remember saying that I liked it. I do kind of remember saying that I didn't like it, but uh, I guess in some circumstances I like it and some others I don't, and I'm not consistent. Yeah. And this also frustrates my wife when I do stuff like this. She's like, but you said you hated, uh, I don't even know, bok choy. It's like, no, I, you know, I might have, but now I like it. <laughs> and the next time she makes it, you're going to hate it again. Oh, I don't know. I've been liking it for a while now, so it's, it's pretty good. But you know, Brussels sprouts I used to like, I don't like them anymore. I don't know why. Oh, Brussels sprouts. I know nobody likes them or everyone claims they hate them, but I'm telling you, just have Brussels sprouts cooked the right way with some bacon, Delicious. <laughs> bacon? <laughs> of course. Well, you can put bacon on a cardboard box, it'd be all right. <laughs> yeah, true. But I've had good Brussels sprouts a few times in the last couple of years out at restaurants and so good. Just so good. But thinking back to when my mom made them when I was a kid, it was the grossest thing ever. Oh, that was just frozen Brussels sprouts that she threw in a pan with a little bit of margarine and said, here, eat these. They're good for you. And you went, oh, you know what this could use? It could be wrapped in bacon and it'd be all right. <laughs> Some bacon, yeah. Yeah. You'd wrap the sucker in bacon fright and bacon fat and, uh, you know, that'd be all right. All right. Well. Put it inside a steak wrapped in a potato. Now, be all right. Now you're just. Smothered in butter. 
<laughs> now you're just uh, teasing me, man. That sounds delicious. <laughs> All righty. We've got an email here that uh, is a late, another late edition. Um, this one's not even on your notes, Jason. So get ready for this. I am ready for it. From Chris in the UK. Chris writes, regarding the odd language of the scavengers. So I apologize. We're all over the place, but we're going back to that again. Chris says, the way they talked didn't make me think they were morons. It made me think they were children. This is a gang of people who reverted to childhood to survive. As the father of two, the phrase want something now felt familiar to me. Also, it's an easy trap to associate a lack of eloquence with a lack of intelligence, and indeed to falsely assume that someone who speaks well is necessarily intelligent. Neither are always true. It seems to me that this group have learned to only speak when absolutely necessary, and as with all skills, use it or start to lose it. Right, like Yoda. You know, Yoda's obviously intelligent, but he speaks like a moron. He speaks kind of funny. Um, you and I have been accused many times of being well-spoken, but that doesn't make us smart. No, absolutely not. And I'm not even sure we're well-spoken, but hey. Yeah, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Uh, but I think it is interesting, you know, don't underestimate someone because of the way they speak. You never know what they're truly capable of. So uh, we'll just yep. have to see where this goes. And, and uh, um. It, it's funny because their speech patterns didn't bother me that much. It kind of intrigued me and I thought this is a little unusual, but maybe there's something to this. And uh, I hope we learn a little bit more about it as the season goes on. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I agree with that, that you shouldn't underestimate anybody based on their speech pattern. I mean, my son doesn't speak at all and he's the smartest baby ever. <laughs> yeah, that's the impression I got. Yeah. The smartest baby since I had babies. <laughs> <laughs> he's the smartest baby. Absolutely. All right. Uh, now what? Last now we, last one. I think I think we have uh, a call in Angie from Angie. Call in Angie from Birmingham, the UK. Yes, and um, this one I specifically put at the end because it's kind of about last week, and uh, I did want to address it though. So hopefully, I remember what I was going to say. But here we go. Hi guys, it's Angie in Birmingham. Um, just wanted to ring up with my holy crap, and it's not one from this week, it's a holy crap from last week, and it's actually because of you, Chris. Um, I just wanted to say, holy crap, you missed it. Um, that wasn't bad writing for Daryl. Um, that was very subtle, very clever uh, writing and acting uh, to show the de-evolution of Daryl Dixon. Um, do you remember the shy, awkward, rude, abrasive, witty one-liner, Daryl, that we had in season one? The one that called Laurie olive oil, wouldn't stand still, paced when agitated, couldn't look Rick in the eye. That is exactly what we had last week. Um, and Rick knew it when he left him behind, the way he held his eye contact, wouldn't let him break it. And he was showing he had faith that Daryl was still there. Um, not the nervous baby brother of Merle, who didn't quite know his place in the world, but the Daryl Dixon that has been the kick-ass second-in-command for the last five years, Daryl. Um, that's what the whole interaction thing was at the end of last week's episode, and that was what was going on with Daryl throughout the episode. Um, just showing how that the events of the premiere and his subsequent capture, torture, escape, um, the way he killed Fat Joey has really screwed with him. 
Thanks, Angie. So I, I can see what she's saying, that Daryl, in a way, has reverted back to the way he used to be, right? He made all this progress um, since early on in the zombie apocalypse because he's found people that care for him, people that are his friends, essentially his sort of zombie apocalypse family, right? And that's done a lot of good for him. And I can see that and being captured and tortured and whatnot has sort of caused him to revert back a little bit. The, the problem is I didn't feel like what we got from Daryl in that episode was the same character as early season Daryl, right? Early season Daryl, he was insecure and uh, had a short temper and didn't really, wasn't really able to control his emotions and stuff like that. Here, I don't know, in this episode, I felt like we got a guy that didn't really display those characteristics it felt to me more like well we need daryl to have a line here and i know that's a little bit uh, cynical but i felt like we need daryl to have a line here so we're gonna make him say something stupid like what was it you're uh you're um you're not being a king or you call yourself a king or something like that right to ezekiel i yeah. wish i remembered the exact line now but just adding nothing to the scene or to the conversation. Whereas before, I felt like it was a genuine character trait of Daryl Dixon that was coming through. Here, I didn't really get that feeling. So, I don't know. I, I would have preferred Daryl to just not have been in that episode or just not have, not have said anything. And I think it would have worked better. In this last episode, Daryl was a huge part of it. And I really, really enjoyed it. I'm, I'm, I'm just happy that they've they've brought him back like that. So I don't know if you have anything to add, but for whatever reason, the Daryl in the season or mid season premiere didn't work for me. Yeah. I can see what Angie's saying though, that he has reverted back to the uh, squirrel Chuck and you're collecting Daryl uh, of seasons past. But uh, I can also see your point that, uh, you know, really they were just looking for something that Daryl could say in order to get from, you know, the way he was into this episode, this most recent episode where he had a lot more lines and a lot more relevance to the story. Yeah. So I, I see both your points. I'm not sure I have a specific opinion. That's the other thing, though. Like, if, if their point was to revert him back to old Daryl, I mean, maybe they could have played with that a little bit. They've got go with that a bit, right? It's it, it goes back to, you know, our very first emailer here today saying about how the characters seem to have taken a 180 so quickly going from completely emotionally beat down to into the ground to being, you know, full of resolve and gumption to get the job done now. Right. And Daryl, he was, he made all this progress, but then he got kidnapped and tortured. So he reverted back to, you know, feral Daryl. And then in one episode, snap your fingers and he's back to being productive, you know, friendly, good member of the group, Daryl. So seems like they're a little all over the place with these things. Anyways, at the end of the day, I prefer this Daryl that we got in uh, episode 10 than the one we had in, in episode uh, nine. So it's the crossbow. He needs a crossbow in order to feel complete. He really does. You know, he needs his crossbow. Everybody, ha everybody on this show has their thing, right? They've, a lot of them anyways, have their object. He has a crossbow. Morgan had a, a staff. Quarter staff, yeah. A quarter staff. Rick has his gun. Carl has the hat. 
Yeah. Um, Michonne has a sword. Michonne has a sword, exactly. Father Gabriel has his Roman collar. Yeah. I and, know, know, now know what it is. And when they're separated from these things, you really notice, which is really, really interesting. I don't think every character has has a thing. Like, does Rosita have a thing? Does Tara have a thing? Not so much, but maybe they'll get one one day. Yeah, maybe, yeah. Could be Aaron. Does Aaron Aaron's thing is constantly getting beat up. <laughs> He's constantly beating, uh, getting beat up. Yeah. Uh, Eugene has his mullet. Eugene's got the mullet, right? If that ever everybody, gets shaved off, boy. Yeah, every, everybody's got a thing. So, I don't know. And Daryl needs the crossbow. He's not Daryl without it. So I'm glad he's got a crossbow back. Yeah. Sasha has her rifle, but not right now. But she'll get it back. Yeah, she always walks around with that rifle, doesn't she? Maybe Rosita has her bullet, you know, maybe she's always got a, from now on, she'll have a bullet with somebody's name on it. I don't know. Rosita has her attitude is what she has. Yeah. And she's got a lot of it lately. It's kind of getting to me. So I don't know. I, I feel like she's not thinking straight most of the time, right? Like wanting to go out and immediately find these guns. It's like, no, take 12 hours, go back to Alexandria, regroup, get a good six hours of solid sleep, and then go out and find some guns. You know, you yeah. can't just get on the road again. Yeah, you need true. to, you need to organize yourself. Maggie's got her Glenn. Oh, right. Glenn. Speaking of Glenn, he had the watch, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She doesn't have the Glenn anymore. It's too bad. Uh, all right. And that is everything. Now I thought for some reason I included another email here about the trailer. Uh, and I mentioned it. So I just wanted to go back to that trailer for a second. Uh, Jason, that sure. trailer you notice the mural on the side of the trailer, right? The, yep. uh, the gunman that was straight out of Smokey and the Bandit. That Smokey and the Bandit. Yeah. That trailer was, uh, in that movie and exactly the same thing. So that was just kind of an Easter egg in the walking dead. It was the Smokey and the Bandit trailer. A lot of people. When was it in Smokey and the Bandit trailer? I just, the, I'm, the reason I'm so incredulous right now is that I just recently watched Smokey and the Bandit. Like within the last two weeks, I went back and I watched Smokey and the Bandit. Well, that trailer is, or that mural is painted on the side of the tractor trailer truck from Smokey and the Bandit. If you Google image search that right now, Shit. you will see it. Well, I will right after. My keyboard is very loud. I don't want everybody to have to listen to my clacking. <laughs> Jason loves the old mechanical loud keyboard. Anyways, yeah. it's there. So this was like a faded, oh, great. <laughs> Every, like, see I type fast it's okay it's done we're all yeah, done yeah. now everybody uh, everybody knows that and and so there you go it's it's exactly the same in The Walking Dead it was just a faded old you know rundown version of that and uh, I think it was just an Easter egg I don't think it was anything more than that well there it is look yeah. at that cool stuff so all right that is going to do it for this feedback show for season 7 episode 10 um, had a good time. Thank you for writing in everyone and calling in. It's wonderful to hear from you. We'll of course be back on Monday night when we record our recap for episode 11. It's called Hostiles and Calamities. Oh, Calamity. Okay. So that's, who's Calamity Jane in this? Is it Carol? I don't know. I don't know, but there's going to be some hostiles, it sounds like. So if you want to get a title read in, make sure you uh, record yourself saying hostiles and calamities in some kind of interesting, funny, unique way. Or, you know, just like I did it right there. That's fine, too. There you go. Send that in, and uh, we'll try to play that on Monday night. 
After that, Jason, I'm going to be in London, frickin' England, hanging out with a lot of our UK listeners, I hope, and, you know, spending some time at Walker Stalker Con in London. It sounds like, well, I'm definitely going to be moderating the panel with Jay Bonansinga, the writer or the author of the Walking Dead novels, so come to that if you want to see me or, or say hi after. And I think I am going to be uh, co-moderating a panel with Tom Payne, who plays Jesus, and Xander Berkeley, who plays Gregory. So nice. the, the Hilltop people. Uh, so that should be fun too. I got to figure out uh, what to ask them about. But I got a whole, you know, six and a half hour plane ride to do that. So I'll be fine. Yeah. Just spend the time thinking. I will. I'll sit there and just think the whole time and make notes. Is there internet on planes now? Yeah, there is a lot, but you usually have to pay for it, and I'm not interested in that. I'd rather just watch a movie, right, or or something. Uh, but good I can fun. I can think up questions and write them down on my iPad. That would work. That that's good. Anyways, so those are being the two panels I will be on stage for at Walker Stalker Con. So please come out if you're there and and check it out. And then uh, let's uh, let's have a good time in London, everybody. I'm really looking forward to meeting some of our UK listeners. So I do hope a bunch are there. Um, all right. In the meantime, though, if you want to get in touch, you can send emails to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. You can uh, visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the talking dead. Find us on Twitter at talking dead or find all of our episodes at uh, talkingdeadpodcast.com where you can click on send a, send a voicemail as well to record, record a message for us. Um, but you know what? The absolute 100% best way to record yourself to get it into us is just use like the voice memo app on your phone. Um, you know, assuming you have a smartphone, which most people do these days. Uh, and, and that usually warrants a really good result and you can just email the file to us straight away. And, uh, it always sounds really good. Usually always, usually, right. Always usually sounds pretty good sometimes. Once in a while. Uh, so, so that's a good way to do it. Um, that is it. We want to thank Gato Negro for sponsoring the podcast. They have been uh, very nice to us, and uh, we thank them greatly for their support. And uh, that's going to do it. So until Monday night, everybody, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Ciao.